Welcome to another episode of The Breakdown. Today, we're sitting down for a focus on rural Alberta, and in particular, we're sitting down for a focus on education in rural Alberta, because there's been some bumps and some concerns that have been raised about education specific to rural Alberta uh, over the last little while. And so we wanted to sort of get a sense of that. In order to do that, we're very fortunate to be welcoming Kevin Van Leggen to the podcast today. Kevin is a educator and a principal in consort. And to be clear, it's Ontario. It's not Ontario. Is that right, Kevin? Correct. Yeah. Perfect. So um, for our, our listeners, um, what we came across Kevin's path when he unleashed a bit of a, a tweet storm uh, in regards to some concerns that he had uh, on rural education. So Kevin, can you just, um, before we get into that, can you just give us a little bit of background on, on who you are and a, a sense of, of, of where you live and where you work? Okay. Sure. So, uh, yeah, as you said, I'm principal in uh, rural Alberta, almost in rural remote Alberta, sometimes I call it. Um, East central Alberta, close to the Saskatchewan border, actually. Uh, principal of two small rural schools. Uh, Alterio is a school of just over 60 students and Concerts a school over just uh, 240 students. Both of them are uh, K-12 schools. Been principal in Alterio for seven years and then the last four years I've been in uh, principal in Concert as well. Okay. Now, um, just for context, how big are the communities that we're talking about overall? Oh, well, a concert has just over 800 people living in the, the actual town. Um, and about half of our students are from the town. The other half are from surrounding areas. Um, Alterio has 12 houses. Uh, so most of our uh, students are coming from surrounding areas and two other uh, towns of 12 houses as well. Okay. Would it be fair for me to characterize these communities not only as rural, but uh, agriculture-based? Yep. Um, most families are in some way, shape, or form uh, involved in agriculture, uh, whether they're farm ranchers or they're servicing the agricultural industry in another way. Okay. Um, what uh, what prompted you to, to write the the tweets that you did uh and then when if you can also sort of go into the content of, of what your concerns were as well sure so uh, this actually happened on thanksgiving weekend uh premier kenny released a little video um you know kind of i felt a little bit smug a little bit uh, attacking teachers perhaps public education um and, and he was promoting choice in education and just uh, it didn't sit well quite honestly, that he did it on Thanksgiving weekend. Um, and then on top of it, I thought, you know, you, you don't actually understand what choice in education means in rural Alberta and what, what you're actually saying. Um, so I, uh, I sat down and I wrote and I erased and I wrote again, <laughs> I erased, but I finally came up with something that I was comfortable with, with sharing. Um, and it did, it did, you know, I first shared it on Facebook and, and Twitter. And, and I mean, you saw it, uh, it ended up in the ATA newspaper as well. Um, and, and basically, my point was this, you know, rural Alberta has, you know, my towns have one public school that that is basically the option uh, for students. The other option would be to homeschool. Um, and, and our rural communities are, are extremely supportive of their public schools, all the while knowing that they're also very conservative communities. Um, our MLA was elected with almost 80% of the vote, UCP MLA 
um, and his children go to a very small rural school as well. And, and, and he understands this, I, I'm quite positive of. Um, and I, but I don't think the Premier necessarily understands that. And that's what prompted me to write about, hey, you know what choice in education looks like in rural Alberta? Is that there's an open public school for uh, students to go to. Okay. Now, um, just for, for context for our, our listeners who maybe don't have any sort of background in, in rural, can you give me a, a sense of what the obstacles are for kids attending school in some of these more, I don't want to use the word remote, but you already did, so I will, uh, rural areas? What, what, what are they having to sort of navigate in order to get to school? Well, first of all, I mean, bus rides are always, always an issue. Um, you do have students that are on the bus well over an hour, sometimes an hour and a half. Um, you have, you know, if you're looking at sending your kindergarten student to school and, you know, they have to be on the bus at quarter after seven in the morning, for example, uh, some parents are really struggling with that. Um, and, and that's why it's important that we maintain the schools we do have, because every time you shut down a, a rural school, that makes bus drives just that much farther. Uh, for people right so uh that's probably the number one issue you know as i know as our, our school division we have to take money out of our education dollars every year to supplement our transportation dollars uh just so that we can keep our buses on the road and pick up our students okay have there been any closures of any rural schools that you're aware of that have, have contributed to these longer bus rides well, for sure. And, you know, I have to say that the school division I work in has been very, very good and, and they're very committed to small rural schools. So we haven't shut uh, schools down, um, but divisions in the surrounding areas and other parts of rural Alberta have been shutting down small, uh, smaller rural schools. And, and of course, that immediately, you know, makes a, a longer bus ride. Um, my two schools, for comparison, that I'm principal at are exactly 50 kilometers apart. Um, so if, if you would shut down Ontario and we have students coming about 25 kilometers, 30 kilometers, 40 kilometers away from Ontario to school already. So some of them would look at literally a, a direct route to school would be about 90 to 100 kilometers, um, which would be unimaginable when you also have bus stops along the way. Well, throw in a little bit of uh, Alberta prairie weather in the winter, and I imagine that that can double your, your travel time quite easily. Absolutely, yeah. Um, uh, how has things been, I mean, now that school's uh, back in session, um, how have things been rurally with all of the mitigation of the, the COVID stuff? Have there been additional challenges in rural schools with that going on as well? Uh, well, I mean, at every school in the province, I think, has you know a whole bunch of protocol that you have to face. I think the good thing is, quite honestly, is um, our schools aren't at full capacity. And one of our number one issues in rural education is to keep our numbers up, right? Um, over time, you know, people move away and, and the numbers go down in schools. So our, our capacity, so for example, Ontario, you know, back in the in 1980s had over 200 students in it. Now it has 60 students. So social distancing is not an issue in our schools. <laughs> we have plenty of room, right? So we're actually at an advantage that way. Well, that's good. Um, What's your sense in the the communities that you you're talking about um, in regards to the whole conversation around? I mean, Mr. Kenny is is making a, a big deal about the whole idea of choice in education, and certainly a couple of his surrogates have uh, spoken quite enthusiastically about the uh, 
prospect of, of charter schools. Um, what's your sense on the, the rural preference for public versus having to set up charter schools? You know, I, I, I think our local communities want to keep their, their public schools. It's, you know, many of them went there and their grandparents went to the school. Um, and, and they're all very supportive uh, of, of their school. You know, I, I never feel animosity whatsoever from, from parents, from community members that I'm a teacher in the community or the principal in the community. We, we're a team. We're in it together. Um, you know, they are supportive of me. I'm supportive of them. And, and it's just because it's, it's survival, quite honestly. We, we have to work together. That being said... You know, if public school, if the public school was shut down, I know my community would rally together and they'll figure out a way to to get a charter school going because they'll want to keep their school. Um, but that's not their preference. They they want to keep going what we have. Okay. Um, and in regards to support from the community for public schools, you were mentioning in a sort of our, our pre-taping discussion that your community has stepped up in particular in regards to some of the, the agricultural um, objectives. I'm probably using the wrong word there. Uh, initiatives is the word I'm trying to use. Uh, can you tell our listeners a little bit about that as an example of the support for public schools that you're seeing in your community? For sure. So uh, I think it was actually February 1 of 2017, we had a community meeting in Ontario. We said, where do we want to go? Um, you know, we're doing some pretty cool things with the school. Where do we want to go as a school slash community? And, and we kind of set out a vision and the vision included, let's celebrate, let's embrace our agricultural heritage. Uh, so as a school, we, we embarked on that path and, and we've done some really neat things. So uh, today we have, um, we actually have a, a barn just off of our playground. Um, we, we have sheep, chickens, turkeys. Uh, we have a, cow, a couple cow calf pairs. We have, we're raising steers. Um, and when the first year we did this, we, we just raised a couple steers, had a little pen for them. And, and the students go out, they do chores in the morning and take care of these animals. And we're teaching them about feed and, and whatnot. But uh, we had a, uh, an open house where we got our new barn and then we decided to auction off our one steer to the community. And it was amazing. We ended up selling that steer that night for $39,585. Um, nine different people bought it and they just donated it back and they bought it and donated it back. And then as the night went on, people were handing over more money and cash and checks and, and they're just giving me, it was kind of fun because my pockets are full of money. Um, but we, we, we got over $50,000 that night um, and all said and done since, since basically that that's the spring of 2019 when that happened. Uh, since that time, we've, we've collected over a hundred thousand um, dollars from the community in, in donations. And, you know, we've got a few grants that the community has found for us and um, just unbelievable. And it just keeps on going. Right. And this is coming from a very, very small, small community. These aren't a ton, there's not a ton of people in, in Ontario, um, but they believe so much in their school that it, it doesn't matter what, you know, if we need anything in the school. Um, for example, we were talking about with there were some new rules. We needed hockey helmets for to take the kids uh, skating. And, and uh, we were at parent council meeting. And uh, I said, well, we don't have any hockey helmets. And the one mom said, oh, I'll take care of that. And literally by noon the next day, she said, I ordered 50 hockey helmets. The Lions Cub is paying for it. They'll be in the school next week. Done. So there's no, there's no real argument to be made that, that the, the public schools rurally um, aren't enthusiastically supported 
by the communities that they're serving then. Yeah, and, and, and there's, a, there's a bunch of reasons for it. One is, I mean, it's about survival for some communities, but the school is where the community meets. It, it's the hub, right? That, that's kind of like, I call it sometimes the heartbeat of the community and, and how the school goes, the community goes. Um, so of course the community is, is behind the school and they're, they're passionate about their schools. They want great education. They want the supports. And, and you know, those, those are struggles in, in rural Alberta. For example, trying to get like an, an occupational therapist or a physiotherapist or a speech language pathologist to our schools, it's tough because they don't want to travel uh, to our rural areas. Um, so sometimes it's difficult for students to access um, to access services. For example, when, when COVID uh, first came in at the beginning of this year, even in, in September, the closest place to get tested from, from concert was an hour away. Um, oh, wow. So now you're dealing with socioeconomic status as well, right? When you know parents can't afford to take that trip. Now, thankfully, in the meantime, we do have testing in our town. And thanks to our MLA, he actually worked hard at that. I'll give him credit for that. Um, and uh, he got it to happen in our in our town. But these are all things that we have to deal with as, as a school as well. Um, now, you, you're pretty clear at the beginning, uh, and certainly from the electoral results, the you're you're living in in what is very much a a, i would call it a a ucp stronghold would that be fair yep absolutely um with that being said are you seeing or hearing any frustration from the people in the communities in regards to the ucp's current approach to education um i'm actually probably more hearing uh, frustration on a larger scale <laughs> with the UC, oh, okay. to be honest with you, um, because I think, I feel like we're doing a pretty good job in our schools here. Um, and, and with our local board, we're, do, we're doing a pretty good job. So we can, we've kind of insulated uh, people with, from some of the policies perhaps that that's come, that are coming down. Um, the, the larger scale frustration with the UCP is, you know, people have said, Hey, we elected these guys to get us uh, back to work and to get the economy going. Um, and yes, COVID, everyone understands what, what COVID has done, done to the economy. But prior to COVID, things still weren't great and, and things hadn't turned around at all. And, and people are seeing that. So, so that's one aspect. And then there's decisions ongoing. And, and we talked a little bit beforehand about the tax uh, situation, you know, taking $80 million out of the, out of the coffers of rural Alberta. Um, and I know our MLA worked hard to get it down to $80 million and compared to what it was looking like before. Um, so, you know, those, those type, of, type of things keep unrolling. The, the doctor situation, um, people are very anxious about that with our rural doctors that were going, you know, the way the, the way that all went down. And, and you know, the, the thing is this, you can throw numbers and you can throw, yeah, but there's this many doctors moving in and just, those doctors are our friends. We, we know them. <laughs> we know them by name, right? And we know how they're struggling and we hear from them. So I think if I can kind of give a, a global perspective or, or, or a yeah, larger please. perspective of, of rural Alberta is we all understand it doesn't matter if you're from the private sector, if you're from the public sector, if you're a teacher, if you're a, a doctor, if you're a local oil uh, well checker, if, if you're a farmer, it doesn't matter. We, we don't care. No, no one actually really cares what you do for a living. We just want to work and we just want to raise our families and we just want to contribute to our communities. Um, and we're not interested in that divide that I, I genuinely feel our, our premier is trying to encourage. 
Okay. So one of the, with that, the divide piece, one of the things that, that certainly has occupied a lot of conversation in the political sphere is the, the notion that, and, and we've seen this from, from some of the UCP MLAs. We've also certainly seen it from their, their proxies and some of their issues managers. The, the idea that because the private sector uh, has suffered with the, the economic downturn and the, the shift in energy markets. And, and I mean, that's an incredibly complex situation, but the reality is, is there are a lot of Albertans who are uh, suffering because of it and out of work from because of it. Your sense, and please correct me if I'm wrong, um, but your sense isn't that the the average Albertan in rural Alberta is is looking for some form of retribution against uh, public workers? No, you know, and, and no one has come to me and said, you know, you should lose your job uh, because I'm struggling at work. Um, no one has said, you know, you guys should have to cut teachers or EAs in, in your building because, you know, we're struggling at work um, because they, they realize we're running very efficient schools out here. We're doing as much as we can with, with what we have. Um, the other side of it too is, in, in, in some cases, I have staff members who have helped keep their family afloat while their spouse has struggled uh, with their private sector job right now, especially in the, in the oil industry, right? Um, so so they, they realize that not, they're not going to get their job back by firing an EA in the school. That's not going to solve anything. And, and they see that. Do you think part of it is, I mean, I... I mentioned this earlier in our, our little pre-interview chat. I, I grew up in, in, in northern Alberta, in rural northern Alberta. And my, my memories of, of northern Alberta uh, and, and living rurally was that the sense of community was incredibly strong. Um, do you think part of what's driving that... Uh, attempt to create a divide is the fact that uh, urban areas don't tend to have nearly as strong a sense of community as rural areas do. I think you're, you're a, you're a hundred percent, right. Um, you know, my, my community, yeah, I work here as, as the principal. Um, my children also go to my school. Uh, their friends come who are my students come over to our house. My friends are, parents of children in the school um, we're, we're just one community and, and so there's there's faces behind those comments right so when when people say uh, or you know when politicians say well you know the the left-wing ideological you know union employees blah, blah 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 that that's not what local people are seeing they're saying hey that's that's kevin we like Kevin. He's teaching our kids. He's taking care of our school. He's doing these awesome things. We have this agriculture program. We have this other stuff going. And they don't need labels. It's not about labels because they know us as individuals and we know them as individuals, right? So, so it's just one community that's tight-knit. Well, I have to say, it's, it's really encouraging to hear that as much as the rhetoric that we're seeing coming out of the legislature these days is incredibly divisive. And I feel like even that's an understatement. Uh, it's, it's nice to hear that that's not resonating 
uh, with rural communities or, or creating any sort of a, a split or a division in, in rural communities, because we certainly are unfortunately seeing it in the, the urban areas. Yeah, and you know what, I, I always, like when I write articles or whatnot, I always speak to rural education because I'm, I'm not from urban uh, Alberta and I don't, I don't want to um, claim that I am or that I know stuff uh, about urban centers. But I, I just continually feel from politicians and quite honestly from, from different stripes of politicians that the divide isn't there that they think is. And, and perhaps it is in urban centers and that's why they're saying it because they're also from the urban centers. But here in, in, in rural Alberta, we don't feel the need to be apart. We, we, we believe we can work together and we're stronger for it. Okay. Um, has there been, I'm curious, uh, and, and I don't know if you're comfortable talking about it, I'll ask the question. And if you are, yeah, and if you're not, that's totally okay too. Um, the There's been quite a bit of controversy surrounding um, the proposed curriculum changes. Have you seen any drive for the types of changes, especially with the, the social studies curriculum from the people in your community that they're, they're, they're looking for those types of changes? Not really. Um, there's no traction either way, to be honest with you. Okay. Uh, it's kind of like, yeah. Um, you know, again, our, our parents are very active in the school. They know what's being taught in the schools. Um, they're, they're okay with what's being taught in the schools you know, things like getting rid of discovery math. I mean, that's a nice buzzword. Um, so they say, yeah, we should do math the way we used to do it. And I'll say, well, what is discovery math? And it's not good. <laughs> right? <laughs> and quite honestly, I, I, I don't know if I can even explain discovery math. I'm not a math teacher. So, um, you know, so, so sometimes you can get a little bit of those discussions going, but to say that parents are like, well, they need to change the curriculum in this province because it's failing our kids. I, I don't hear that message and, and I could be wrong. Maybe I'm missing something, but that's not something that's front and center at all from the concerns of, of, of the community. Well, it sounds like your, your school is certainly an example of how uh, schools do have quite a bit of latitude uh, already to um, supplement uh programs because i can tell you when i when i was growing up um we didn't we didn't have barn uh at our school and certainly when i was going to high school in calgary we definitely did not have a barn in calgary <laughs> no you know we could do some pretty cool stuff and the other thing is this so so i'll tell you what matters to, to parents is you know when when the schools were shut down in march on on the sunday um i literally sent a notice out to parents and i was just walked out of my office and talking to a few people here and 15 minutes later, the school got shut, or they said they're going to shut down school. So I said, oh, boy, back to the office. Um, but we actually were only shut down for one day, and we were back up and running. Um, really? We have, a lot, we have a lot of technology because we work between different schools. Um, we're flexible, we're nimble, and all this stuff. So by Tuesday morning, K to 12, all the teachers were teaching. All the kids were back in classes. We were delivering um, laptops to people's houses. We were delivering internet hubs to people's houses. And we were, we were going that fast, you know parents they care about that they'll they'll tell you about that they're not going to talk to you about curriculum change but they're going to say you know what our school was up and running and they took care of our kids and they met with them every day and they were doing all these things they, they just want us to be taking care of the kids i gotta i gotta ask on a on a totally yeah. <laughs> uh not uh nowhere near the the weight of the conversation that we've been yeah. having so far um who when when the school's closed as a as, as the the building and you went to the remote learning 
who took care of the animals? Oh, um, so we, we actually, um, we had it set up that we had a general manager and assistant general manager. Um, all of our students run, our students run the farm actually. They apply for jobs each year and they get interviewed and they actually get assigned positions. And then at the end of the year, they get scholarships based on the position they had um, from the, what the profits of the farm. It's really cool. Um, That's fantastic. So the assistant general manager and the general manager uh, came in because it wasn't in the school. They could do that on their own and take care of the animals for, for a couple of weeks. And then we dispersed them to different families. Um, I ended up with the cow calf pair at my place and someone else ended up with the sheep and we sent the turkeys to the butcher a little early. Um, so within a few weeks we were, we had, we had the farm empty. Awesome. Okay. Um, I, I sort of have two more questions that I want to kind of, uh, hit you with before I let you go. Um, the, the first one is, um, is there anything that you would like uh, the the urban Albertans uh, to know about rural Alberta and how rural Alberta is sort of viewing the the political situation right now? I think, and you know what, in my role as principal, I'm not sitting and talking politics to yeah. everyone all the time. You have to understand that, um, and, and you try to be non-political uh, as much as possible. Um, but when I do get into conversations with people uh, wherever we meet for a coffee or, or what, what may be, um, there, there is a sense of disappointment, I believe, in, in how things are going in, in Alberta. Um, I, I think rural Albertans are quite honestly looking for an alternative uh, to this version of conservative. Um, to be blunt, our riding will never elect an NDP MLA. Uh, <laughs> that's not the direction they'll go. So they'll plug their nose. Um, and, 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 you know, I, sh- I shouldn't say that because they'll, they'll happily vote for our MLA because he's a hardworking local guy that, that represents us well and he does his absolute best. They're plugging their nose, I believe, at this point for the leadership of, of, of the UCPA. More and more of them. I'm not saying all of them. I can't speak for all of them. Um, yeah. But to say that just blindly rural Alberta is, yep, this is good. Absolutely. That is, that is not the case. They are definitely concerned about the doctors. They're concerned about the tax structure. They're just, they're concerned about funding uh, for, for different levels of, of, of services. Um, you know, I think rural Burtons yet yeah, they're conservative, but they're very supportive of the public services that they know they need to survive. Would it be, would it be fair to say, and this is obviously a broad generalization and, and, you know, you, you, I, I, I'm not going to ask you to speak for all of, of rural Alberta, but would it be fair to say that for some rural Albertans who voted for the UCP, they're discovering that this isn't the kind of conservatism that they thought it was or that they necessarily voted for? I, I think so. I, I don't want to speak for for everyone. Yeah. Um, you know, yeah, I, I, I don't think that they're super excited. Let's put it that way. Okay. that they're saying, yeah, rah, rah, this is exactly what we expected. I don't think you're going to find many rural Albertans out of sick. And they did. They put a bunch of money into that irrigation here a while ago in rural Alberta. That was a lot of federal dollars as well. Um, yep. Right? But get those farmers behind you because they're the, they're, they are the core of these communities. Well, right? and I think that, that for, in a, in a lot of ways, um, if, I, if I had to pick the sustainable growth industries in Alberta, 
Um, we, we've seen how unpredictable oil and gas can be. Uh, and, and to me, uh, it's, it's in its twilight. I mean, the, the reality is, is that we're not going to see companies looking to Alberta for certainly oil, gas probably, but certainly oil the same way that they did 15 years ago. Um, but with the effects of climate change, people who make food are going to be very valuable. <laughs> well, and, and it's, it's, it's fascinating. I, I love talking to, to the, local, the local farmers because they're brilliant. Right. These are brilliant people. Um, and, and the ongoing science that, that they're bringing in as far as technology and yep. how can we get, you know, more, less consumption with more um, rate of gain in our, in our cattle. You know, so I was talking to a guy, he bought a new corn planter um, and, and I don't know, it was 200 and some thousand dollars. Um, and he said, but I did the numbers and, and my old, old corn planter, uh, it was 30 feet that it would cover twice every time and in seed, the loss in seed and, and, and product that didn't grow as well versus this one only had like a two inch overlap. And, and he had it figured out down to the year when that planter would, would pay for itself based on that alone. And then he said, but because it's bigger and I, this now wow. I'm, I'm doing custom work and I'm, I'm doing this and I've created a job for a guy that's running this for it. Right. Like there's this one, we have a farmer here that, I mean, they're, they've been amazing for the school. He mentors all the kids with on the steer side of thing. He teaches them how to feed, and, and the kids mix their own feed and, and, and do all this stuff, right? But he has he's brought in a bunch of. So here's another thing I didn't talk about, but like the temporary foreign worker program um, that Kenny now just went boom okay. done. Um, he's brought in a lot yeah. of temporary foreign workers. A lot of them are from Ukraine, and and their wives and children have followed, right? And we're rebuilding a rural community with these families. And the boy, like their children, um, we actually have a pen at the school that they can have 4-H steers there. So, so they, they, they raise their steers. There's one boy, you, th- you got to think of this, he, he's two years from the Ukraine and they're, they're kind of fleeing Ukraine because of Russia and everything. And they're, they're enlisted into the army and stuff, right? So, so they come this way. Um, so he's, he's two years out of the Ukraine and he gets this, this 4-H steer. His boss gives it to, his dad's boss gives him the steer for free. This guy gives him the feed for free. He sells the steer for four thousand dollars. So you're you're two years in Canada, and you have four thousand dollars in the bank as a grade seven student towards post secondary, right? <laughs> like like awesome. these. This is what this agriculture. There's so many opportunities in agriculture to do this kind of stuff, right? And <laughs> and for the whole family and for the whole community, right? When you know, like the the pipeline. It's just just west in between my two schools. You can see where they're making room. Which one is this one? One that's going down to the states, or supposedly going down to the states. Well, it'll depend on what happens over the next couple of days. Yeah, but... exactly. Um, you know, it's cool. You see a lot of things happening, but all that happens to our community is for a couple of months. We have a lot of guys going to the local bar and eating at our restaurants, and and they're fine. They're great, but and on they move. It it, it doesn't do anything long term for our community agriculture does right so i'm curious um because one of the the things that i've very anecdotally heard uh is that there are many small towns across alberta that are are kind of struggling to stay alive um and it what you just described very much sounds almost like the kind of 
settlement that that happened early in Alberta's history and and that caused those towns to to grow in the first place. Do, do, you, do you think that there's a parallel between the temporary foreign workers bit? And- yeah, I think so. Um, and and so I think there's a there's a bunch of things going there. Um, but you know what? It, it it genuinely starts with the school because those 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 guys used to be coming alone. And they weren't taking their wives and they would go home for six months of the year, right? Um, and, and then we, we had one family and we really took care of that family in the school. And we started teaching the mom English, right? We offered, we offered her language learning and stuff. And that brought the next family, the next family, the next. And these kids are having such a great time in our school. So now the young families are, are watching this and saying, well, we're going to stay in this community because we love this school. Um, so it's the farmer, he's happy because what he discovered is his best employees are those 30 to 40 year old guys with children with a family because they're, they're dedicated, right? They want it. Now we actually, they're starting to become Canadian citizens. These people, we have three of them that are Canadian citizens now. Um, That's awesome. Right. And, and it's just, it's, it's actually a, a, a model to, to rebuild rural Alberta. Right. And, it, yeah. but, and, and when I talk to the farmer, like they're, they're, they, they absolutely will say it is because we actually had a meeting with the, municipal person they're like well you know you guys have this farmer that's hiring his family that's why your school has these kids in it and the farmer's wife's like no yeah yeah we're hiring these families but the reason we can hire families is because we have this school that's taking care of our kids and it's taking care of so many things for us right and and so their experience of benefit on their farm these families are happy and actually the next thing we're going we're doing so that the, the dads are happy dads have a great job kids are happy moms are happy because dad and kids are happy right? So you want to talk about traditional 100 years ago, that's exactly what's going on, right? Um, but we're actually, uh, we're going to build a, um, and I found I found what was formerly the one room schoolhouse of Ontario. And I'm going to bring it back to Ontario, and we're going to rebuild it. And we're going to make it into a little uh, cafe tea shop, and we're going to sell the product from the barn through there. Um, and then these Ukrainian families get to run little micro businesses out of there. And they're going to, one lady wants to start a, a pierogi making business and we're going to have like Ukrainian nights and stuff. Um, so we're going to create a, a businesses for these, these women to run. And, uh, well, it's going to be awesome. It's going to be phenomenal. Right. And we're going to keep them and our, our community is going to grow. It's, it's, it's actually growing. That's awesome. The last question that I, I, I want to sort of, and it's, this is, this is probably the easiest one that I'll throw to you. Um, is there anything else that, that you'd like uh, people to know about rural education, the challenges associated with rural education? Uh, and, I mean, free for all. Uh, is there anything else that you'd like people to, to hear? Well, I'm going to go on the positive, if, if I may. Absolutely. Um, <laughs> you know, I think actually COVID has taught us something, and that is that it is possible to work from home. It's possible to do a lot of cool things um, from, you know, different jobs that you don't necessarily have to be in the city. And in rural Alberta, I think we do have a really great education uh, system in our schools. I think, I think we're, we're rocking it. We have great teachers. We have great leadership um, and our schools have small class sizes. You know, my, uh, my, my school here in, in concert has a uh, 15 to one student to teacher ratio. Um, and in, in Ontario, we're at about uh, uh, about a 12 to one student to teacher ratio. Um, so, so we have smaller class sizes and, and our students needs are, are, I believe we're doing a great job of meeting them. And, and it's a great place to raise a family, right? So, I mean, I tell people from our urban centers, move to rural Alberta. It's where it's at. <laughs> well, I, I, I can, I can certainly tell you that, uh, m- my memories of, of growing up in rural Alberta are, are, 
some of my most treasured. Uh, so I, I hear you. I want to thank you again so much for being willing to, to sit down and share your perspective uh, and taking the time to, to do that. And uh, yeah, is there anything else you'd like to add at all? No, thanks. And, uh, and um, yeah, thanks for, for taking the time. And um, I, think, uh, I think better times are ahead, but we got to keep on promoting what we have out here and, and uh, protect rural Alberta as much as we can, especially our education system, because, uh, man, if, if some of these more small schools end up shutting down, it's devastating for local communities. All right. Well, thank you again. Okay, thank you. And that's our show. As always, if you appreciate the kind of content that we're trying to produce here at The Breakdown, please consider signing up to be one of our monthly sponsors at our Patreon page at www.patreon.com slash thebreakdownab. For just the price of a cup of coffee every month, you can help us to continue to try to produce the kind of stories that we're doing in the way that we're doing them. Additionally, if you're listening to the audio version of our podcast, please consider leaving us a rating and a review on whatever platform it is that you're listening to because it's those ratings and reviews that help us get our podcast in front of more people. And finally, if you're not already following us on social media, please consider following us on your favorite social media platform, all at at the Breakdown AB. Thank you for your time.